0: Hey now, we are getting over, and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times, Daddy, with instant analysis of WWE Money in the Bank. This is our second instant analysis podcast since the start of getting over. Absolutely thrilled to have Chris Benini, our normal WWE. Co host here with me to break down this show. WWE Money in the Bank, the shortest pay per view from the company, non NXT, in about 15 years, which is interesting uh, considering it was pretty action packed and we did get a lot to talk about on a very short show. As always, before we get to the instant analysis, a reminder uh, if, if this is your first time listening to the show, head on over to Apple Podcasts, subscribe obviously we're also available wherever you listen to fine wrestling audio drop those five-star ratings and reviews i mean don't even waste my time at this point you guys know what needs to happen five-star rating season hit the review let us know how much you love the show i greatly appreciate it you can also follow us on twitter if you don't already at getting overcast you can follow me at silverstein adam and you can follow chris at chris vanini chris great to have you on the show. Um, great to have WWE finish a show. I mean, forget finishing before 10 p.m. Eastern, finishing before 930 p.m. Eastern, uh, considering there's some great documentaries on The Last Dance, certainly the Michael Jordan doc over on WWE Network, uh, The Last Ride uh, with The Undertaker. I wanted to see that as well. So it is interesting that we're probably going to be able to pump this out and still watch all those before the night's out.
1: Yeah, we're we're recording this right after hour one of The Last Dance, so uh, we'll be going back to watch hour two when we finish this, and I may try to fit in The Undertaker tonight as well.
0: Well, we're going to get started right away. No use in wasting time, and when you talk about the Money in the Bank pay review, you have to talk about the Money in the Bank match, and no year has it been as unique as this year when they had the superstars climb the corporate ladder uh, starting at the bottom of WWE headquarters in Stanford, Connecticut, in a pre-taped uh, match. You know, I don't know the time on it exactly. I didn't look, but it was probably like somewhere around 30 to 40 minutes altogether. Uh, but all 12 competitors, six men and six women competing at the exact same time. And you saw, you know, again, one of the more unique matches in WWE history for better or worse. I think when you look at WrestleMania, The Boneyard match, almost complete rave reviews. Very few people didn't like it. Firefly Funhouse, a little bit more divisive, but I would still say three out of four people very much enjoyed it. Edge and Orton, um, you know, the Falls Count Anywhere match, there was no audio in the background, nothing unique. I think most people, even three out of four, didn't like it, especially because it went so long. This one on Twitter, at least so far, and it's very early, I'm seeing a 50 50 split. Some people loved it. Some people hated it. Some people liked certain parts, but didn't like others. That's kind of where I fit in. I enjoyed the majority of this match, but there were a lot of moments in it that took me out. So I kind of think the best way that we can break this down, Chris, is kind of going through the match and then we can talk about the two winners. What I loved at the start of the match, something I found interesting was, you know, they did the entrances and whether you like those or didn't, whatever. Um, but I like that the men and women started in different sections of the, you know, the headquarters and they didn't just throw them all in the lobby and say, go after it. They had the matches start separately and they did keep the interactions to a relative minimum. What do you think about that?
1: Well, my first thought was I was glad they held it off to the end. I know last week you had brought up the idea, and I was concerned it was going to happen, that yeah. it would start at the beginning of the show and then kind of we'd jump back in throughout the pay-per-view. So I was very glad that didn't happen. I think the fact that it was one long match really added to it. It kind of got you into it and to certain people and what was going on and stuff played off of other stuff. So I thought it was a great setup for that. Uh, I, I also I, I like that they started separately and and... I, I think it worked. I think doing two of these would have been weird. It made sense yeah. to do two at the same time. I think it was a good call. And uh, yeah, I, I mean, I was a big fan of this whole match. We'll get into it more, but I mean, there were maybe a couple spots here and there I didn't love, but I, I really, really liked this match. I thought it was a lot of fun and that they, they continue to dock it out of the park. I think with these with these cinematic type things,
0: I do think it was fun. So that, that is that's a nice way to kind of start the breakdown here. Was it a great wrestling match? No. And of course, it was no. never going to be it was never going to be a wrestling match. Right? right. But I think if you're being, you know, if I'm being analytical and candid and I look at what AEW gave us with, um, you know, the street fight basically to end the last episode of Dynamite, and I look at Money in the Bank now, they were completely different. One was pre-produced cinematic, had background music. It would take took place through an entire building. But I still felt that the AEW Street Fight was wrestling. There were so many parts of this that took me out of it being wrestling. And that's kind of where I want to start. I think they're in the gym. There's probably not much to talk about there. But I thought Corbin breaking the mirror was a good piece of foreshadowing. I thought it would end up being different than it was. I thought it would result in him being thrown over the roof. Um, But, you know, breaking the mirror and that being bad luck, I thought that was, you know, cute and smart. And Otis, obviously, the gym being his habitat, (laughs) using using the bench press bar and trapping styles under it. You know, I thought that was smart as well. But the the first thing that kind of took me out of it a little bit, but I didn't hate these, but it did take me out of it, were some of the cameos. Brother Love kind of taking a dump in the bathroom, Doink hiding behind a couch, not even either of the Doinks, just like a normal, uh, a regular dude dressed in Doink makeup, by the way, Uh, and John Laranitis um, just in a cafeteria in people power, like dressed up as people power. That stuff I thought was all acceptable. The parts that took me out of the match were the extra silly shit. So Dana Brooke
1: going into a conference room. Well, and they're all well but before we get to that, ahead. can can I say something on the cameos? Yeah, sure. sure go for I, it. Th- that kind of played into, you know, I-, I thought it was I thought it was fun. And my-, my general feeling about this match was it needed to be fun because the concept is kind of ridiculous. Y- y- I know you compare it to the AW Street Fight. I compare that AEW street fight more to what edge and Orton should have been at WrestleMania sure. where the, where there is you're in the arena. There's a sense of seriousness to that. This was never going to have that. So I, I thought the cameos were fine. I thought they worked. I thought it was generally pretty fun, uh, in, in that sense of what they were for. Cause I think that's what this had to be. And I, to me, I think that worked fine. No, and that's okay. I, the ones I just mentioned, those three in particular, they were cute and quick.
0: And I was like, okay with those things, but the things I did not like, and it was really just two parts of it. There were only really two parts of the match I didn't like. The first was Dana Brooke, who's been waiting for this opportunity, and we us talk in kayfabe a little bit, but Dana Brooke who's been waiting for this opportunity her entire life. She's cut multiple promos about how big of a deal it is and how huge of a chance it is for her to actually do something in WWE. She knows everyone, all 12 competitors know the briefcases are on the roof. Okay. They just do. It's it's storyline, it, it's Everyone knows the match finishes on the roof. The whole point in going up the tower is to get to the roof. She's in a random uh, conference room, and everyone's fighting in there, and that's okay. And she grabs a briefcase full of cash and unhooks it from the ceiling. Even that's kind of okay. And I'm like, you know what, whatever, it's kind of funny, but she's treating it like she won the the, the, the briefcase, that she won the contract. That was ridiculous. And then you have Stephanie McMahon pop up. And I don't hate Steph. A lot of people do. I don't mind her being on TV. When it's overdone, it's overdone. But Steph, she's she's good. She's a good heel. But it was so clearly taped separately. Yeah. It was clear she wasn't there. And why does she need to be stepping into the women's match to say, no, no, Dana, tsk, tisk tsk. Tisk. That's not the right briefcase. It, that just literally took me and yanked me out of the enjoyment of it. And I hate to kind of say that something small could do that, but they made it such a big part that it bothered me. And then the other thing, Chris, and you can respond to both of these, was Paul Heyman, who, look, he's an overweight guy, sure, but sitting at a table full of a buffet of food in a random room that I don't think was a dining room or anything like that, like starting to like stuff his face a little bit, and then all of a sudden, everyone gets in there and they have a food fight. Again, I don't mind some of the silly stuff. We'll talk about it later. The person mopping up and someone slit. All that stuff was totally fine. But these were so extra silly that it really pulled me away from enjoying this match
1: that I thought was going pretty well. So with Dana, first off, I thought a clear Money in the Bank briefcase with actual cash in it is a really cool looking thing and I don't know if there's any way to get that involved but I thought that looked really cool uh and honestly the way Dana sold thinking she won actually got me for a second where I thought that maybe I had missed something and that this was that this was legit or, or it was a secret money oh. in the bank I don't know it, it, I thought it was I, I actually the Dana stuff was fine the Stephanie stuff yeah it was clear it was not the same thing I didn't mind her stepping in Vince was involved in the other one I I, I thought it was fine it wasn't executed I think great but I thought it was fine and um, as for Paul Heyman like yeah it makes no sense that he's in a building eat about to eat a bunch of food there but in a random room by himself yeah it was it was another one of those where like i was willing to i was willing to let it slide because this is this is supposed to be funny it was clearly a setup to something else but i was fine with that because i could tell that's what they were trying to get there and when i can tell they're just legitimately trying to have some fun and i'm having when i'm having fun I can let some of these things slide and I was having fun. So it didn't it didn't it it didn't take me that far out of it because I think the bigger picture of what was going on had me uh, really enthralled. I just think there was too much like,
0: okay, a couple things. Having fun is fine. Brother love. That was fun. You know, it was funny. But I got
1: but then it got to the point where I was like, well, I won. I I, got me to the point where I was wondering what is going to happen next? Who's going to make a cameo? What's the next room going to be? There was a mystery to as they were going along. And that kept me like I had Michael Jordan on it on one screen. I had this one. On, I had the money in the bank on the other. And I kept I was hard to pay attention to Michael Jordan because I kept having my eyes on this match because I was really excited to see what was going to come next around the next door. So I, 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 I was fine with it. I'm just looking at just early, like that was already,
0: let's say, halfway through the match. And I just mentioned five different cameos. And I'm not saying that they should have had zero. And I'm fine with some silliness. Again, brother love, I thought was funny. You want to do a food, a funny food spot. Otis, go, you know, getting stopped in the cafeteria and pie kind of like him seeing pie and being like, oh, I got to eat that pie. And like John just coming out, people power. That's funny that that's it is plausible that a character like Otis could be distracted by food. But what's not plausible to me is that Daniel Bryan, AJ Styles and Shayna Bazer are going to get into a food fight when they're all trying to race to a roof. And then people are fighting and forgetting that the whole point of this is good. There was never really a, a situation where like, someone was trying to, outside of the beginning where Oscar gets into the elevator, there was rarely a situation where like, someone's trying to get out of a room and someone's pulling their leg to pull them back and run over them to get, you know, faster ahead. It, sh- it really, the, the match itself, it, it was a race to the roof, but it wasn't always treated like a race. There were far too many occasions where, they, these wrestlers who are all supposed to be championship focused, it's a huge moment, a huge match for them where they got distracted. And, and uh, trust me, man, I am not trying to be a buzzkill. There's stuff I loved, okay? <laughs> the brother loves stuff, like I said, I enjoyed that. I loved the Vince McMahon part, okay? You have Daniel Bryan and AJ Styles barreling into his office, messing up the chairs. You see Vince, he's pissed. Then they're going to leave. Then AJ's like, no, 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 we got to fix the chairs. And, and for it to be those two guys, Going into that office now, granted, there were only so many people in that match, but AJ Styles, a non WWE guy for his entire tenure, Daniel Bryan, an indie guy who kind of got forced on Vince by the fans. And for it to be those two guys in that situation, for them to have that conversation outside the office, I thought that was hysterical. Otis and and Nia Jax squashing Rey Mysterio and then staring each other down. I thought it was hysterical. The Undertaker, Styles being distracted by the poster, having flashbacks. Then seeing the casket in there. I really liked it. That. that was great, too. So I'm not trust me. I'm not trying to be a buzzkill. and say. saying I, number one, I am not saying the match was bad. And number two, I'm not saying that any of that all of the Hokie stuff was bad. I'm just saying the extra silly shit. Dana being an idiot. Steph showing up randomly. Paul Heyman just chowing down on a buffet. Those things in particular, those
1: two in particular really took me out. Did you so, love the Vince McMahon stuff as much as I did? yeah I thought it was really funny. so the lot here's the logic part that bothered me. It was whenever they were in the elevator, Oscar to start, some of them later, why they didn't end up at the very, very top. like well, the- Go well ahead.
0: I, th- I think, well, I think I can answer it. Well, I, I don't maybe I missed this, but I thought when Oscar jumped in the elevator, by the time that happened, and you don't know necessarily what's happening at what time. But didn't the men all wind up in the elevator and Oscar was like hiding in the corner so it yeah. stopped? she had a stop for them and they, then she had to stop for them to get off. Presumably they bumped into a button, let's say. Um, yeah, I, that's and then what she that was continued it, yeah. her and then, and then someone saw her in there or she tra- she tried to run out of the elevator up the stairs. they saw her, they started attacking her. What I had a bigger issue with was for the women, and I didn't mind that that a couple, one person, let's say, didn't factor into the finish, but half of the women. Didn't even make it to the roof. Dana Brooke slipped on a wet floor and cracked her head open, which plausible. So I'm OK with that. Right. Carmelo was driven through a table by Nia Jax. Again, plausible that she wouldn't make her way up there. I have no idea what happened to Shayna Baszler.
1: Yes. She yeah. just wasn't there. And she, yeah, she was my pick to win it, too. Yeah, that was too.
0: that was that was a little uh, that was a little strange. So I thought that was weird. And then the guys, you know, it made sense. Corbin kind of being the one to have the light bulb come off and say, you know, I got to get to the roof and he goes up there and he's there first. That's cool. So let's just move into the in-ring portion. uh, When they get to the roof, Uh, the women are up there first, of course. Now Corbin did make his way there very soon after, but the the women barely got any time in the ring. um, And I felt that the roof overall for both the men and the women was barely used when still, this is a wrestling match. You have the ladders, you have the ability to do a number of really cool spots in that, Arena. It's open air. It's it's cool. It was set up pretty cool, um, but I felt the women's part in particular was a tad disappointing. Uh, it was understandable, like I said, how many people got taken out, but for Asuka to just to pretty much just climb up and take it, and yeah, she had Corbin there and she kicked him off. Uh, I, I like that. I, I like that spot. Me too. No, I did too. Um, and I guess Nia was there. Whatever. I I, I listen. Oscar was my like if I could choose, if I could book it myself, Asuka would have won. So I'm thrilled that she won. I think she's going to do an incredible job with the briefcase. But considering what we have seen previously from the women's Money in the Bank matches and from Money in the Bank matches in general, for them to go up there and basically do nothing and she just climbs up and wins, I was relatively disappointed in, in how that finished. I
1: was, I initially was, but then I realized like, it it did it, it really. I was glad. I was kind of glad it ended with me wanting more, because we so rarely get that. Like I, again, I don't remember the total time on this match. I wouldn't be surprised if it was shorter than Edge Orton as a whole, because based on where things started, or at least around that time, like. And that thing dragged. And when this thing ended, it was like, Oh, we're like, we're like up on the roof. We're at the end here. I I like the whole show being generally shorter. It makes for a more enjoyable experience to me when you, you want it a little bit more. And I was okay with it because I had had fun on this whole journey and it, for it to just end. And you, you're used to shenanigans on the roof uh, or on the ladder, 50 people climbing up and coming back down. The fact that it pretty much went the way normally it should, uh, in that sense, it was a little bit of a upset to me and uh, to me. So I, I, I was like, oh, I was surprised it ended so quickly. But then I was like, you know what? I was fine with it because it didn't drag in so many of these things, uh, even regular money in the bank matches. Just sometimes these things drag and there's low points. And the fact that it just ended pretty much straight to finish on a sprint, uh, I was OK with it. I do agree that it was nice that
0: the portion in the building didn't drag on further because they could have probably done and maybe they even did tape another 10, 15 minutes of usable material, you know what I mean? In the building. Yeah. Uh, So I am I am glad that that was shorter. I agree. But once I think once you get into the ring, you want to see these women fighting for the opportunity. I'm not saying that you need like all those standard uh, ladder match practices of like someone's hurt and they climb slow. But then someone's on their tail, so they quicken up and they jump on their back. And, you know, uh, I don't need like a a ladder positioned between another ladder and the rope. So someone takes a fall. I'm not saying they had to go to that length, but they did nothing. And I'll give you I'll even concede that for a ladder match to end like ladder matches should actually be ending where someone just sprints up the ladder and is the one on
1: top and wins. It wasn't the worst because there were two matches inside of one right so you, that was the, that was the other thing i was going to say because we knew we were going to have to go through this again with right. with an ongoing match so to drag that part out i don't think would have been a great move that's why i think it played into the other one okay and that's fine now we'll talk about the men again uh oscar i'm very happy you very happy as well yeah i, I, I thought Shayna would win i was excited to see what would happen with that but oscar's been doing a great job and, and i think it'll be pretty good yeah you did convince me of Shayna on the um yeah, it's a preview theory. podcast.
0: No, it was OK. I mean, I, I picked Lacey just because I, I was like, I don't know who else is going to win. So no, um. but you, you convinced me of Baszler being the right person. And so therefore, when I saw Asuka win, I wouldn't say I was like, oh, my God, this is incredible. But at the same time, Asuka winning in a main event and getting pushed and being featured. She's been one of the top two or three MVPs of this empty arena pandemic era. So for her to get this opportunity and for her. potentially be the one to cash it in on becky lynch and win the title that's huge and that's big for Asuka. and ultimately that's a very positive that's a step in the in a positive direction for her now for the men you get all the men up there uh basically from what i can remember i think they all made their way up there uh obviously the the key spot was corbin just chucking Rey mysterio and alistair black quote unquote off the building and into the blackness but what was interesting about it is that they, it was an awesome spot. The visual was great. Um, I'll actually I, I saw how they ended up doing it. And if you guys want, I'll post on uh, Twitter. Maybe I'll send a tweet with a picture of it. I'll circle it. There was a crash pad. Obviously, it was a barricade and a crash pad. And they just flew over this barricade into a crash pad. But So I, I think they needed to cut the audio of the thud. Well, it was the thud that was number the first thing that took me out of it because if they're going to hit the ground, it would take yeah. a lot longer, yeah. right? That's number one. But no one batted an eye about it. The referees that were ringside didn't even like go, "Oh my god, what the hell did you just do?" Because yeah. there was because there was background music, which I thought was great for the entire match. Yes. There was no commentary. So while I hate Michael Cole overreacting to everything, that's a moment where you want an overreaction. Uh, this guy just committed double homicide. Right. You want like when Roman Reigns plowed Braun Strowman with a truck, you want that reaction. Like, what the hell did I just see? And instead, two guys got thrown off into the blackness and there was nothing.
1: Yeah, that was uh, that was a little strange. My my again, the thud was what caught me. I was like, oh, they're clearly like we know they're not being thrown out the roof, but I thought they would they, they teased it. You know, they talked about right. the, AJ said he's going to throw people off the, the roof and then you, you follow through and do it. I don't know if they wanted to make it not not literally make people think that they died or something. But he, yeah, I, they could have easily cut that audio. The other
0: thing that bothered me with it was Baron Corbin did that to two raw people. It would have been way better if he did that to Daniel Bryan, who also didn't factor into the finish. And then he could have feuded with Bryan. Like, Bryan's like, hey, you you tried to take my life. I'm not going to let that happen. You have Bryan mm-hmm. and Gulak. You have the Baron Corbin group that's obviously together. So you have some natural storyline there. Instead, he just tried to kill two raw people on Raw, and it's it's not going to continue. There's nothing. It's going to be forgotten about,
1: I guess. Basically, yeah. Is what trying yeah. To get. I, I I was generally not a fan of the stuff that happened in the ring. To, total. Maybe it's because I thought the the building stuff was great, but yeah, stuff like this stuff like the the throwing it over and and where is it going to go? It can't really go anywhere now. Uh, I I thought the stuff at the very end in the ring was was uh, could have been better, I guess.
0: Yeah. And I I think the same the same criticism here for this as it was for the women. Uh, I didn't expect the in-ring stuff to go on long at the same time. I think it could have gone on a little bit longer. And again, it is a ladder match. So, yeah, the idea is to go get the briefcase. But the other idea is to have a ladder match and WWE. To, the, to their own fault, it's their fault. They have set the ceiling so high for ladder matches. Even last year's Money in the Bank, the men. Think about that spot. I think it was with Andrade and Finn Balor, right? The, the sunset flip bomb. And he, and then Finn bounced off the ladder. Like, such cool stuff happens in ladder matches. I guess the spots of, of Corbin throwing people to their death was supposed to be the equivalent. But us not really getting those spots was disappointing. I'm going to let you take your first crack at the finish. The one thing I'm going to say about it um, is that I thought a fumbled briefcase finish would have been cool if they didn't do the exact same finish to the tag team championship match at WrestleMania where the titles were being contested between multiple people. They were fumbled. John Morrison fell onto the ladder and the title wound up in his lap. It was the same finish. We saw it one month ago in this case because it was Otis and someone else fumbling it. I honestly, if it was me, I would have reversed it. I would have had See, Otis on the ladder with Baron Corbin fighting for the briefcase. I would have had Corbin get knocked off by Elias, just like he did. Otis fumble it. And then AJ Styles catch it on the ground.
1: See, I think the finishes were a little bit different because Morrison kind of had it as he fell off. It wasn't like the belt went up in the air. It and, still and, happened. And, and into his, it. it still happened.
0: But it still happened into his arms. I
1: mean, yeah, but it, to, to me, it wasn't the exact same thing. And, and it, that visual of the of the suitcase floating in the air and landing it w- was was different. Was to me, stood out quite a bit. And I I, I really like the finish. You know, we we I don't know if Oscar's a hero or not, but you know, Money in the Bank is normally won by heels. And when it when you see it pop into Otis's hands, you're like, whoa, a face won it here in, a, in kind of a fluky way. Normally, you don't see that. But otis's reaction to, to getting it was hilarious uh i still think he's he is incredibly funny he he's still his his whole thing is just really funny he was he was he was a star in this match and with 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 the way he reacted to getting it and the way he reacted afterward had me excited for a an otis money in the bank run here and who knows where it's gonna go um you know let's play it out the way you did where where otis and corbin flip it and it goes to a j I think it would have worked I think it works for a heel to win in a fluky way and he can brag about how great he was even though he got lucky so I don't think it would have been a bad way to do it I think that would have worked out fine I I think the way they did it uh, I still think it worked out pretty pretty well and I was I I ended the show kind of just like feeling good feelings about that whole match from the beginning to the end and uh, that doesn't often happen (laughs) in these things.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, for me, it really just turned like I was really excited at the beginning of the match. Once it kind of got to the Dana Brooke part again, I, I know I'm harping on it, but once it got to that, I, I, up, up until that point, I was like, this is like a B plus, like this is really good. Uh, the Dana Brooke stuff took me completely out of it. The Paul Heyman stuff took me completely out of it. You know, some of it was saved. Some of the other brawling was good. The Vince stuff I told you I liked. Um but look, we're gonna. This is gonna be probably our first major disagreement on the. I podcast. think it is. Yeah, and and it's not just the match. Uh, I think your your take on the winner is just straight up wrong. Like so. I know. I noticed winning. Yeah, because here's the thing. So I'm gonna go back to what I just said previously. Otis fumbling the briefcase and AJ catching it makes complete sense for both characters. It, it but does, Otis, does. Otis. 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 He's a fumbling guy. He's he's rough around the edges. Whatever the case. Man, he, he he's upset. He's depressed about it. He goes into SmackDown. Mandy's there to console him. Tucker's there to console him. Maybe they go on a tag team, really strong tag team run. Maybe Mandy goes on a run, all three of them together, something really good happens. But Otis taking the money in the bank briefcase, which despite WWE wasting the briefcase at, quote unquote in recent years, either using it too quickly or putting it on people who didn't need it, it would be hypocritical of me to say that Otis didn't need it because he's someone who's never had anything. Right, so for him to get it theoretically is great, but but Otis is not the guy in this situation who should happen into it. A Big E is someone who should happen into it. Uh, a Jay Uso or a Jimmy Uso or Miz and like again like a Miz and Morrison or a, someone who is in a tag team getting this opportunity is totally fine. Otis is getting a massive push alongside Mandy. He's over with Tucker. He's a face. He does not need the briefcase. And Otis winning to me was an absolute joke um, because this match as it was was silly. And again, I'm okay with a lot of silliness. But ultimately, you're still supposed to think that, you know, in kayfabe wrestling's real, right? We know it's not. But it is supposed to be where, you know, Drew McIntyre and Seth Rollins, which we'll talk about in a minute, are two of the best wrestlers in the world. And they have a great match. And you could see either of them being champion. Well, you know who I can't ever see being champion? Otis. And apparently Vince McMahon likes him, but this is a total waste of the briefcase. You can make but- an argument. You can make an argument that he has momentum, but I think everyone knows that it's tongue-in cheek momentum. We love Otis because he's funny and entertaining, not because we want him to be world champion. You want someone who's a threat, someone who can cut promos, they can be sneaky. they can be s- smart with it and actually cash it in at the right time. To win the title of the six dudes in the match, and I'm including Baron Corbin, Otis was the worst choice to win. And despite it being a surprise, which was a nice surprise, I mean, the fact that someone that I didn't think was going to win actually won, that was cool. But it was not the right person. It is going to be a waste of the briefcase. Could they make it funny? Maybe. Maybe they saw what Brock Lesnar did last year, turning it into a boombox, and they're like, Oh yeah, we'll just have Otis be a clown with it, and then he won't win when he tries to cash it in on the Fiend uh, or Braun Strowman, or like like who's going to be champion over the next year in SmackDown? It's going to be some combination of Strowman, Fiend, or you would assume Roman Reigns, right? If he comes back, if and when he comes back. So who's he going to cash it in on? I mean, I just I don't see any scenario other than being a SmackDown person and trying to get one on Raw and one on SmackDown where Otis winning makes sense. I think it was bad booking, a bad decision. It was unnecessary. And I'm not trying to be the fun police. I'm not trying to kill people's buzz. I love Otis. I like him just as much as you all do. He does not need and should not have the briefcase.
1: Man, I hope WWE pulls the audio from this podcast and puts it in the the promo video like a year or two from now when Otis is like built up serious guy getting his title shot and, and nobody, lo- no, and he's the real underdog through all this. That's the thing. He, he's a very good underdog. And I think no, there's he's a not. way, I think he is. I, I think he, he, he was the underdog throughout the entire Mandy story. Sure. Yes. Like he, he played, yes. he's, he's the relatable common guy. That's the gimmick and he plays it well. And you're right. He, he he hasn't had anything he's- yet. He hasn't had. It. I don't think he's held a title at all. Um, and I've seen so many times when a guy has got momentum, got something going, that nothing happens with him, and then they try to do it like six months later. We kind of miss the boat. Otis is hot right now. He he was one of the the best story, one of the best stories he's going hot. into WrestleMania. He's and hot I, I the briefcase. Right. So I'm fine with them. St- Strapping something to him to see where it goes because I'd rather push the what, what what's interesting and fun right now and see where it goes rather than try to shoehorn something else in. I don't know. Where, I have no idea where this is going to go, and I'm I'm excited about that. It's fun to have a a, a funny fa a, a funny face hold the briefcase, but also a guy who is a threat. Like he he's a he's a jokey character, but he's not he's not like a you know he's a physically imposing threatening dude and that's why I think finisher, dude his finisher's the caterpillar right I know I'm not
0: saying like it'd I'm be like saying, it would be like giving this to Santino Morella I mean he's better no, than like, that,
1: absolutely but. not absolutely not Santino Morella does not look like he could beat up anybody in WWE otis is a champion power weightlifter just because he has some fun i mean like think about mark henry sexual chocolate all that stuff going on he could still be a physical you don't want to piss him off oh, and that's not what we mark. got that's, no i'm not saying he's not mark Henry. i'm saying it's in the same vein of a, of a big muscle guy or a big just beefy guy who can play the humor but also can back it up because you know it could whip your ass and i think that's what we, i think this will we'll get from otis i'm i'm exci- I, i'm not saying you know Your other ideas, Morrison, Big E, whatever. I'm not saying that wouldn't have worked. I'm not saying Otis is the perfect guy to win it or or somebody else wouldn't have been better. But I still like what happened and I'm excited to see where it goes. And the, the whole theme of the match was silliness and fun. And it, it fit in the same vein as that. And I was okay with it. And I'm, I'm excited to see where it goes from here. And I think Otis is going to continue to be re- that man. So no, no, thing that Mandy Ziegler thing had really kind of run its course and they were starting to push it a little bit. And we've seen them push storylines way too far. Now he's jumps into a new storyline now with this briefcase and he's still hot, got momentum and we'll see where it goes. I'm excited. I like it. I'll put, Otis, I'll put Otis, I'll, You got a fan. You got, you got one fan, at least one fan in on this podcast. Otis.
0: I'll put it this way for if you're going to have a silly money in the bank winner, you might as well do it for a silly money in the bank. So in that perspective, yes, this was the perfect one for him to win. But I'm not saying you're saying this, but yes, Otis is the common man in WWE these days. Right. But it, he ain't Dusty Rhodes. And I don't say that just because I give him a shout out at the start of this podcast, you know, every single episode. He he does not have the mic skills, the the kayfabe intelligence, the cunning, the all the skills that someone needs, heel or face, to be
1: a money in the bank
0: briefcase holder.
1: Well and that's that's gonna be part of the story. The idea that he's not smart enough, we're gonna I bet you we see that played out. He he's not gonna be smart enough to know when to so get he's gonna have to he's gonna have to figure out and he's gonna have to be smart he's not he hasn't had to be smart as a character before. And I think that could be an interesting journey.
0: Look if they're playing if they're playing to a broadcast television PG audience with this and they're trying to just find someone who people are going to pop on Fox or maybe I'm not aware of it, but maybe on Fox, the quarter hours with Otis um, or the curating of Otis is spectacularly <laughs> high and people love it. If there's a reason like that, that they're, that they're going in this direction, then I can at least understand it. But you had too many other people in this match, too many other ways that they could have booked it. Uh, Alistair Black, you could have strapped the, strapped the rocket on him. He could have made something of that briefcase. You want to talk about someone being Cunning and foreboding, Alistair Black. AJ Styles is a great heel, would have been great with the briefcase. He was Daniel my pick.
1: Al- Alistair Black is yeah, my pick.
0: Daniel Bryan would have been fantastic with it. I hate, I, I did not want Baron Corbin winning it. Um, but I still think he would have been a better option than Otis just because of how much heat it would have gotten because people absolutely hate Baron Corbin. Look, I don't no, hate no, no, I, no. I don't hate Otis. Okay, he's he's <laughs> by all accounts a nice guy. We did an interview with him. Um, I should have seen it coming. Honestly, he was doing the interview rounds before Money in the Bank. He spoke to like 10 different outlets. I should have seen it coming, but he seems to be a good guy. He seems to have a good head on his shoulders. He doesn't seem to be about anything that's bad. And I, I'm I'm very happy that people are happy. I'm happy that an unexpected person won. But I'll just wrap it up by saying, wh- the reason I care so much and the reason I'm being so critical about this is because when WWE has these s- certain Matches, Money in the Bank, Royal Rumble, King of the Ring. To me, I always look at it kind of like, as you alluded to earlier, as an opportunity to strap a rocket to someone that has not had that opportunity, but is deserving of that opportunity. They've been building Alistair Black on Raw for a calendar year. He's had, I don't think he's had a single title match. He's only lost one singles match. It was to AJ Styles. He won it right back at the pay-per-view. He's had no title opportunities and he's and now he's of, dead and, and he's yeah right now. he just got thrown over dead. a building instead of winning the briefcase. And meanwhile, you have Otis. There's a loaded tag team division on SmackDown. He's in a tag team in interviews. He said he's still in a tag team. They're not changing that. He has plenty going for him with Mandy Rose. Tucker and him could have gone after the titles if they put it on a pair of heels. If they wanted to strap a rocket on him, they could have had him, you know, Maybe because he was on that ladder and he fumbled the briefcase, he gets an intercontinental championship match. And maybe he beats Sami Zayn. And then eventually that stable wins it back from him, you know, just like they did with Strowman. But that's how you strap a rocket to someone like Otis. You don't give him what I consider to be one of WWE's most prestigious items in any given year that they consistently throw away and waste. Money in the Bank cash if you've seen any of the highlights on Raw, SmackDown, or, or the special that they aired... There's some of the best moments, the most memorable moments in the company these days. And for them to take it and put it on Otis, who, look, maybe he's going to beat the Fiend for the title and I'll be shocked. But I don't think he's going to. And even if he did, I couldn't imagine him doing a Caterpillar and dropping an elbow and pinning the Fiend and winning the championship or Strowman or whoever. So to me, it's going to be a lot of time and a lot of comedy that's going to that's going to infect SmackDown. And it's ultimately going to be a waste where I would much prefer to see it truly elevate someone that could utilize it like an Aleister Black or even if Apollo was still in the match, someone like Apollo. Instead, that's
1: kind of where we are. So so, so one last thing, the the winner of this, the winner of this, the winner of this match was never going to be. The takeaway from the match. The the, the match itself, the, the the uniqueness of the setting and all that stuff, when they go back and show highlights five years from now about what was going on, they're not going to show the winner. They were never going to show the winner because it ends up in a ladder. It ends up like everyone. They were going to show you something that happened backstage. That The story of the match was not who won the match. It was what happened in the match. I thought it was a, a really fun time. I love the we said it—the music over the over the background yeah. of everything going on—huge. I would, I'd love that for like almost any match. They've done three cinematic matches now. I think they've done a really good job with these, and I really think they should try to do just more creative stuff like this when you can, because a, a three-hour RAW full of the same in-ring empty matches is a bit of a in uh, SmackDown too. It's a bit of a drag sometimes. Anything you can do to change it up with this kind of stuff is great. They've done three of these now. Really good job, and I I think there's really a, an open door for some more creative stuff to happen on the weekly shows.
0: That's fair. We have our fir- the first major disagreement between Adam and Chris. I'm getting Ooh. over to it, it took us a while, but you know, on previous podcasts, other hosts that I've had, or co-hosts that I've had, uh, disagreements come aplenty, but you and I are pretty much aligned, even though we disagree on some stuff. This is the first major disagreement. We'll put it, note it, and by the time it's over, we will maybe take a vote and we'll see who was right. But let's move on. A lot of other stuff happened on this pay-per-view, and we just spent the vast majority of this on the Money in the <laughs> Bank match. WWE Championship, Drew McIntyre against Seth Rollins. Um, We'll talk about the theme music at the end, but I thought this was a fantastic match, Chris. Both men shined as much as they possibly could. Rollins looked completely like himself again. He used his full arsenal of moves, took major bumps, including that weird one where Drew's like hanging upside down in the tree of woe, but like sits up and then throws him halfway across the ring. That was sick. Um, The fact that McIntyre kicked out of the stomp, then deflected another one, kind of like Orton did when he hit that RKO, Uh, the crowd would have gone absolutely apeshit for the finish of that match. Um, I I loved the match start to finish. I thought it was the strongest of the show. I thought it was probably a top, definitely a top 10 match in the empty arena era, WWE, AEW, NXT, et cetera. Maybe top five. That's how much I enjoyed it.
1: Yeah, they they absolutely killed it. We're back in agreement here. Um, I it it was a great just pace to the whole thing didn't drag had big moments uh they they worked they worked well together i think um i don't know if it's the end of it based on how things ended but uh yeah i mean you all i can say is it was a really fun match it, it's really hard to have a a good long enjoyable match in an empty empty arena as we've seen and this one was just just really strong start to finish uh they killed it the handshake afterward what did you think about that it, it it kind of signaled to me that this was a one off and that they're moving in separate directions or maybe Seth does surprises and beats him up tomorrow on Monday and we see where it goes. But uh, I was surprised at that. I, I thought it was nice because it provided a layer to Rollins
0: character that he was willing to shake his hand, that maybe Rollins is what he says he is, that he's not a bad guy, that he actually is just someone who, you know. Uh, felt like he needed to be the one to carry the title in this time and that it shouldn't be on Drew's shoulders, but that Drew earned his respect. And I think it's overdone a lot. The shake hand, the raise the arm and point this guy's made, you know, making the man. Um, I think that's overdone a lot. But in this particular case, because he was a heel, because they didn't have a lot of history. Uh, and when they did, it was the opposite roles. Rollins was the face and McIntyre was the heel. I just like, I, like I said, I think it provided layers to his character that will play out in the future. I just thought it was very well done. This match, they need to run this back on the first draw with fans because if they can put that caliber of match together in front of a crowd, it will tear the freaking house down. I thought it was fantastic. Before we move yeah. on from that, before we move it, it, on, go ahead,
1: sorry. Well, it, it's gonna, what, what you said I agree with about uh, kind of accepting Drew as the champion plays into, I think, what the music was and it was that we were gonna touch on that. Sure. To music yeah. probably. go for it. Go so, for it. you know, it, it, it Rollins thing is Monday Night Messiah. He wants the idea. He wants raw to be great, even if he's a a dick about it. He doesn't want to burn it down anymore. So a, a change of music, I think, made sense. I think I thought the music was fine. It fit the character. But more than anything, I think it was like a lot of stuff with Seth and this character debuting it or kind of working on it with no crowd, I think helps. So when Rollins comes out to crowd with that music, people are going to be confused the first time they hear it. Whenever you have a music change, it takes you a few seconds to, like, figure out what's going on. So I, I think this, along with the promo work he's doing, building on this stuff without fans, I think continues to work with Seth. And he he's trying to he doesn't want to burn down Raw. And in that sense, that's why he was accepting of, of Drew as a champion, because it has made Monday Night Raw better, which is what he kayfabe wants.
0: Well, a messiah talking about burning things down is not the best fit anyway, yes. given given history um, or, you know, whatever you want to call it. Uh, I, for As far as the theme goes, the entrance music, I thought it was good in concept, poor in execution. The concept of the music, you know, made sense. But there should have been something else. Gregorian chants, a bass line. There needed to be more. It felt like they decided to go with this at the last minute. They went to an open source music website searched through like a bunch of church or gospel like sound picked one that was the best and just ran with that it it felt so generic um it felt like they didn't put a lot of effort into it so that was completely disappointing to me music these days think about like bailey's theme like bailey it's that actually sounds very similar to bailey's theme bailey's theme is good but it could be better it could be great if there was a track behind it people talking rapping singing whatever the case there's that extra layer that's not there And that's what was missing from that music. So it was good. It's necessary, but I just don't think they hit a home run with it. They had like a single, maybe at the best, uh, universal championship, Braun Strowman defending against Bray Wyatt. Uh, I'll kind of let you take first swing here, but I'll
1: simply say for me, they nailed the booking on this one. Yeah, it it was, it was better than I expected. Um, I, I, you know, with the way Braun won the title and kind of nothing had happened with him for a month. I, I didn't have a lot of, uh, Uh, high expectations for this, but it ended up working out Bray as Bray, the Mr. Rogers character losing. I think that works. Obviously they're hinting at the fiend booking. It all worked out. I I thought the match itself was very, very enjoyable. Uh, You know, I thought they they worked well together. It was a real uh, kind of a throwback hoss fight to a bit and and Mm -hmm. Bray Bray moves around. Well, Um, they both, both those guys are big guys can, can move pretty quick. And uh, it was just a real physical Strong match, uh, uh, something one of those matches you could kind of feel while you while you were watching it. So good booking, good match, uh, higher. You know, it, it was it beat the expectations I had.
0: Yeah, I mean, outside of the Firefly Funhouse match, I can't think of a single Fiend slash Bray Wyatt match that I would want to rewatch. I would rewatch this because, like you said, it was a hoss fight. It was. Big sweaty men slapping meat, as Biggie likes to say. That's what that's what we got here. And I thought on top of that, despite the action being good, not despite, in addition to the action being good, it was some outstanding long-term storytelling. Strowman looked really strong, kicking out of Wyatt's finishers. The Firefly Funhouse characters were involved. You had Huskis, obviously, like coaching him up during the match. Yeah, and then, I loved and then it. I loved that. Yeah, and then all the characters there, Wyatt looked to have the upper hand again later in the match. Um, playing into the storyline that he just had something over Braun Strowman. And then after the finish came and, and Strowman is there in the mask and then steps on it and then hits the running power slam, they teased where we know the feud is going with The Fiend, the flashing video, and him saying, wait, I can't. And the implication was I can't save you from The Fiend. But I tried because earlier in the match, he's yelling to Braun, I told him to give me a chance. He was mm-hmm. telling The Fiend to let him have a chance of bringing him back as opposed to needing the Fiend. So they told the story exceedingly well, and they're setting up a future match. The match itself was far better than any parts of the build had been in the last four weeks. So as you said, it completely exceeded expectations. If it was me, Chris, and tell me what you think, I think I'd keep Bray Wyatt off TV until like July or late June, let Braun get one or two more title defenses under his belt, maybe a Shinsuke, someone else over there, and then run it back with The Fiend, either attacking him at the July pay-per-view after his match or at some point in July setting up a match at SummerSlam of Braun Strowman against The Fiend and then you have The Fiend take the title.
1: I mean, I'm always a big fan of guy stays away for two months and has a surprise return. Um, I don't know if it's feasible in these times with what's what's going on and and whether or not you can afford to leave Bray Wyatt off for so long given he is one of your... Uh, bigger characters on that show. But I I think that's a great idea. And this is this was a match, I think, uh, another one of those rare exceptions where no crowd probably helped uh, because you could hear Bray telling the story in the Mm -hmm. match. That was clearly a part of what he was trying to do. He's he's extremely good at that. And and he was able to tell that story throughout the match. Uh, And also, quick plug for my Bray Wyatt story. Yes, ran last week in the uh, ran on Friday for the Athletic. I wrote it about his football career, uh, especially at, at Troy, and uh, talked to some of his former teammates and coaches. And uh, so go read that. But yeah, I thought he did a good job in this. And uh, I'm excited to see where it goes.
0: Yeah, very good story. If you want a direct link to it, I uh, linked, I tweeted it, retweeted it from the Getting Overcast Twitter account. So head on over there, find the link where you can uh, check Chris's Twitter at Chris Vanini. He has tweeted a couple links to it as well. Uh, but no, you're right. I, I think being, giving Wyatt the ability to tell the story in that manner it helped immensely. Uh, and even, but they can even because of his character, they can keep him on TV and have him be depressed and undergoing counseling in the Firefly Funhouse or something like that every other week for six weeks. So he makes three appearances on TV and then he's back and he cha- he's challenging Strowman again. So you can keep him on TV, but keep him away from the live cra- uh, crowd crowd <laughs> away from the ring uh, and keep him away from an actual feud, have him feud with himself mentally and then bring them in. That's what I would do at least. All right. A uh, couple more matches here before we get out. SmackDown Women's Championship, Bailey against Tamina Chris. I thought it was an enjoyable match. He- uh, Bailey's heel antics are exceptionally fun, and I think she got Tamina's best match ever out of her, which is something to be lauded completely. Uh, I also like that WWE teased another interference finish with Sasha, but instead they did it in a smart way with Banks kind of feigning her way into the ring and not actually interfering, but distracting uh, Tamina and I thought Sasha looked great attacking Tamina after the match uh, the crucifix pinning combination that they ended up using for the finish it didn't hurt Tamina who they've you know made some steps to try to build and that was a good thing they didn't just crush her and at the same time it gave Bailey a win that she kind of needed to win the match so was it the best match no but from a booking perspective and a storytelling perspective I think they continue to hit a home run with the Smackdown main women's uh, feud.
1: Yeah, I really kind of turned around with Bailey being a heel, probably around WrestleMania. I, I it took me a while to get into it, and I, I think I finally got over the edge of WrestleMania. And yeah, she continues to do a great job. But that this was built up, this was a good build, and I we we talked about it before. There was a part of you that kind of wanted Tamina to, to win, and and because they 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 sold it well, and this match was what it needed to be. Bailey winning in in a, in a kind of di- I know just distraction roll up is. Way overplayed in the women's division. But I think a crucifix pin uh, in doing it a little bit differently like you laid out was a good way to lay it out. So this was this was exactly I think what it needed to be. And Tamina's like picked
0: her up afterward to hit a moot to hit a Samoan drop on her. Like mm-hmm. she got pinned, but she was still there. Like you could see that she was still fighting. So I thought that was great. Um, But yet it didn't just take you a while to come around on Bailey. It took Bailey a while to figure out the heel character. She figured it out like two weeks before Mania. And that's when you started buying into her. So I think she did a great job. Just real quick, though, a shout out to Sasha Banks tonight. Just tremendous. Absolutely tremendous. Okay, Uh, R-Truth against Bobby Lashley. A little bit of a strange booking here. Obviously, it was announced it was going to be MVP. I thought it would have been far better, Chris, if MVP comes to the ring and he's like, look, I'm not fighting you, dude. I'm 40, whatever. I'm retired, basically. Uh, I have someone to take your place. My newest client, Bobby Lashley. Lashley comes out, beats his ass, boom. And now you have him as part of his management team. I mean, maybe that happens on Monday. Maybe MVP, like at some point during the show, is, hey, Bobby, you did a great job. I'd love to manage you. Maybe he gets into a thing with Lana. I don't know. But I think that would have been far more effective than just randomly booking R-Truth and MVP and then randomly having Bobby Lashley come out to take his place.
1: Yeah, I mean, more MVP on my screen the better. I mean, he's just completely captivating every time he's on the mic. And I, I thought that I thought our truth was was good in this. I, I'm glad he got to go longer with the intro. Uh, it, it was really funny. And then MVP was great. Them going back and forth a bit. And You're right. I would love to see MVP as a manager for all these people. The the, the tag team last week throwing Bobby Lashley. Do a Paul Heyman where you got a handful of clients. Um, I would just love to see more MVP on my screen because he is. I think he's the best Mike guy going on in WWE right now. He's always, he's always had that. And, uh, I, I think he's, he adds to every segment he's in. It says something where a guy
0: that's been away from like a main program or a main, uh, I company, a big time company for that long comes right in and is one of the best Mike guys, you know, in the company, at least not necessarily better, better than a Rollins or a Daniel Bryan, but better than a lot of people. Uh, and it's, it's pretty interesting that he can come in and just do that. SmackDown tag team champions. We had New Day defa- defending the title successfully against Miz and Morrison, the Forgotten Sons and Lucha House Party. Uh, dude, this match was fun. Like to kick off the main show. I thought it was fantastic. Great spots by Lucha House Party throughout the entire match. I thought they stole the show out of all four of the teams. Uh, and I love that there was another big featured moment for Biggie hitting the big ending finisher and winning he won the title that way he was able to retain and defend the title that way my hope as it always is is that they are at some point going to push biggie into a main event spot uh, where he can be a singles wrestler still as part of the new day and you've just seen him win two matches by himself um not by himself but i mean yeah well one by himself and this one he was the primary person who won it he got the fall so I just I thought this match was incredible. I, like, I don't mean to say incredible like it was a Kenny Omega Kota Ibushi match. But but to open a, a pay-per-view like this and to be a, a eight man tag match,
1: yeah, it was great. I, I was totally entertained. Yeah, I mean, it felt like an NXT show in in terms of opening up with it was a right. really exciting, fun tag match, it's, it's exactly what you want to open up a show. And, and yeah, I would love to see the biggie push as well i think we've all been wanting this for a number of years now and obviously you need you probably need xavier woods back in order for that to happen but maybe maybe that's the plan maybe xavier comes back soon and they're trying to build up some singles biggie push here uh right now for when that moment happens but uh yeah new day needed to win they've already won eight times can't have them going back for the back and forth Uh, no none of those other teams i think were, were worthy really right now of of uh tag belts and We'll see where, where the tag division goes from here. I'd like some some stories rather than just throw everybody in, yeah. into the matches, but um is what it is. I, I knew Lucha House Party wasn't going to win, but I would have been totally fine if they did.
0: They look—they've always been good and extremely talented, of course. But th- their in-ring work has totally won me over over the last month. They work so well together. Individually, of course, they're incredible. There are so many tag teams on SmackDown. And it feels like there's a dearth of them on Raw. I would love to see Lucha House Party move over to Raw and have Raw be this crazy athletic tag team division. The Obviously, the Viking Raiders, despite being big, are insanely athletic. Street Profits, uh, you have Ricochet and Cedric Alexander, Lucha House Party. Like, just put them over there. They, they can speak English. It's a decent gimmick, all things considering, even though they don't play up the party aspect of it as much as they used to. Uh, am I wrong in liking, in very much liking Lucha House Party?
1: I mean, I think they're exciting in the ring. I I wasn't pining for them to be tag team champs or anything, but the Raw tag division has been a real mess yeah. just in terms of you're up, you're down. Nobody really knows what's going on there. It, it, I, I think it would benefit any of these teams to go over to Raw if they can uh, uh, get, a, get a bit of a push because Street Profits need somebody to kind of regularly feud with their... Yeah, I mean, it's, it's really
0: crazy that Like the Revival were on SmackDown and they're gone. But also there are Usos and um, Heavy Machinery who are not being used as a tag team. That's how many tag teams are on SmackDown. You go over to Raw and you're just like, who's here? And and there's really not a lot of people. So uh, I don't know if they're going to do a shakeup or a draft. I'm not sure what's going to happen. I thought it was interesting. We'll talk about it momentarily. They announced the next pay-per-view, but they haven't announced any type of Roster changes, maybe they're going to save that and do it every October at the start of the new TV year. Um, But things are getting stale in the Raw Tag Division, and there's too many people, it kind of seems like, or at least there's too many available people in the SmackDown side, and they need to do something. But I don't know. I'm going to give Lucha House Party a lot of credit. Uh, I've always liked them, but they totally won me over the last couple of weeks. All right. The kickoff show match, Jeff Hardy against Cesaro. I know that Sheamus and Cesaro were previously partners, but they're not working together now. As such, for me, there was no reasonable explanation for the booking. It was a fine match, nothing special. I'm just disappointed to see them put so much into bringing back Jeff Hardy and trying to give him a push and have him look exactly the same with the same gear, still wearing the face paint. It's like they're trying to give this guy a push and have him say, hey, I'm making a really strong last run of my career, but I'm just the same gimmick that I've always been, not getting more serious, not getting more dark, not getting more badass, not getting more anything. I'm just going to be Hardy Boys, Jeff Hardy, and you're going to like me because I'm Jeff Hardy. Uh,
1: Jeff Hardy should never be in the kickoff show. For, for first that's of something, all. It, that's it was, something else too. Yeah, yeah, and, and like it sounded like they're trying to hint that Jeff Hardy's like starting to build up for his last run here. Like, he, man, he's Jeff Hardy. He should be if he wants to get into a title feud. Like he deserves to just challenge a guy and be in a feud. He doesn't need to build his way back up to do anything like that. So it, it, I, my whole feeling was just it's weird to have Cesaro, Jeff Hardy on a kickoff show. You, you probably you probably could have done the R-Truth bit for the kickoff show instead. Not that it mattered. It's not like Jeff Hardy, Cesaro was really going anywhere. You, you didn't really need to have the match. My, my whole feeling was these are just guys here going through some motions because yeah, we'll figure something out later. It felt like Hardy was there for SmackDown on Friday and they're like, hey,
0: don't fly back. Just we'll use you for the kickoff show. (laughs) Like, like that's kind of what it felt like to me. Uh, You know, I listen, the match didn't mean anything. The R-Truth, Bobby Lashley. They were just added last minute just to make it a little bit longer. Like I said in the intro, shortest pay-per-view from WWE in 15 years and all the other short ones that have happened recently that have been like 245 or three on the dot or whatever. They've all been like special one-off type of shows. So for this to be that short, uh, they obviously had to add matches because this was going to be even shorter. You're talking about maybe a 2.15 or a two-hour show if they didn't have these two matches. Like, oh, never mind. Hardy was on the kickoff show. But uh, if they didn't have the R-Truth one, you're taking, you know, a good 5, 10 minutes off the main card. So you're talking about then and you're into 2.20 or something like that. So, you know, um, I think this overall was a good show. We're going to talk about what's up next shortly. But real quick, final grade. I want you to give me two grades, Chris. First, I want you to give me a grade for the Money in the Bank ladder matches, one grade total, and then a grade for the entire show? I'll
1: say, I, I think I'm going to say an A- for both, I, I for, for, for both the, the Money in the Bank match and the show. I mean, I, I really, really enjoyed the match. Uh, as I've explained, it was just really a lot of fun and kind of what it needed to be. And then normally sometimes you have a card that kind of drags some stuff down, but nothing really... Dragged here. It, it, it was not long. The show, like you said, was was quite short. I think it perfectly fine to be that. Like when you get out of a short show and you like don't feel exhausted at the end of a pay per view, that's a good feeling sometimes. Like like raw, the three hour shows get to be too much every week sometimes. And it, I, when they decide to go short but sweet and they really kind of hit on every little point that they had, uh I think that's good. And we don't get that enough. So I, I give it an A minus. I really had a good time tonight.
0: OK, overall, a minus and a minus on the match from you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, so this is obviously this is where we're going to disagree. So I give the money in the bank match. Oh, man, I'm I'm between a C plus and a B minus. Uh, I'm going to say C plus because it was not bad. Like I said, there was a lot to write home about. Um, had someone other than Otis won, it probably would have been a B minus. But ultimately, the match is going to be for me judged, not just on the quality of the match itself but who gets the briefcases oscar was a totally good fine great maybe even great choice otis was not so instead of you know when, when i'm on the edge there i'm going to go with c plus for that and then the show overall um because it's money in the bank and because that main match means so much that match being a c plus drags down the overall grade i probably would have been at a minus with you for the entire show if there was either a different person who won or some of those hokey moments in the Money in the Bank didn't happen. So because of that, I'm just going to go straight B for the show. Very good. Look, you have the SmackDown Tag Team titles, the SmackDown Women's title, the Universal Championship, and the WWE Championship. Those four matches were all really good. A's Mm -hmm. or B's, all of them, pluses and minuses depending. So if the four main matches on your show are getting that high of marks, then really just the Money in the Bank's disappointing me. That's still a, a very above average, very good passing grade show. It's a B. So coming up next for WWE, Chris, is Backlash. Now, they didn't hold Backlash last year. And the reason they didn't do that is because they decided to do one of the Blood Money in the Sand pay-per-views immediately after WrestleMania. And they because of that, they moved up uh, Money in the Bank as the next pay-per-view after and that. That. That,
1: messed up, that messed up the whole schedule. Actually. Messed
0: up everything. It ruined the booking. Every, every time they do uh, one of the Blood Money in the Sand shows, it just screws up the booking. But what they did to rectify it was at the end of June... They debuted Stomping Grounds as the pay-per-view, and everyone you know, laughed at the name, and the card was crap, but the show ended up being very good, very highly rated. So here's, here's where I'm at, and this is me being a stickler, and people who have listened to me for a long time, you know I get this way, and I can admit it, okay? If you're going to have a show that's backlash, then it needs to be the show after WrestleMania. That's number one. Number two, we are currently in 2020 in the middle of a global pandemic. You're holding your next pay-per-view in the Performance Center, which are the stomping grounds for WWE. So why would you not call the pay-per-view stomping grounds, which is the name that you used last year for no good reason? You you made it up and threw it out for, for no reason in 2019. Now it fits a pay-per-view and you're not going to use it. So I think it's so stupid from them, just from a marketing perspective, that they're using backlash instead of stopping grounds. What's it the backlash of? Not Mania. Are you going to do remashes from Money in the Bank? I hope not, right? So that's number one. But the bigger point, Chris, and you can tell me how ridiculous that point was, but the bigger point is this. I don't like Money in the Bank being the pay-per-view immediately after WrestleMania. I think you need a breathing period. It's, the, it's a big five pay-per-view, You know, the fifth or fourth biggest one every single year. You got to put backlash in May, and you got to do Money in the Bank in June.
1: I, I agree with that in a normal situation. Backlash. I think they used to do payback sometimes, it was like after Extreme Rules, yes. which was after Mania in the past. It's, you're right. It, it should be right after Mania. It used to be. Makes the most sense. That's what it should be. Call it Stomping Grounds. I did whatever. I, I don't really. Do you at least. I I'd what, like. Does what I'm saying uh, makes sense, though? I, I least... get it. OK, okay. I, I get it. But I like the backlash name. I wish they brought back Vengeance as well. Like, I wish they brought back some of those other yeah, names compared yeah, yeah. to Great Balls of Fire and some of this other stuff that some of this nonsense. The thing so, is, though, I thought that's fine.
0: The two ridiculous names they came up with, though, Great Balls of Fire and Stopping Grounds,
1: both ended up being very good pay-per-views. They they do, but the the, the brand of it is, is is terrible. And I agree that normally I would not want Money in the Bank right after WrestleMania. I think it worked out in this current time to have another big pay per view right after WrestleMania, considering how bad the ratings are getting, and and y- trying to draw up some attention and interest going into it. So I, I think it worked out in that sense. Whatever happens at Backlash, I'm excited for it. They've had two really good pay per views now with WrestleMania and Money in the Bank, I hope they continue to do some creative stuff, like cinematic matches and and what have you, because those weekly shows sometimes can be a bit of of a slog, but the last couple weeks, I was really looking forward to Money in the Bank and looking forward to that match. They they, they told you something was coming, had something to look forward to, so I don't know if we're going to have that at Backlash or not. They're going to hint at some sort of big event happening there, but I'm excited to see what comes next, because I think they've done a really good job the last two pay-per-views been really creative in what is obviously a difficult time.
0: I I agree. I mean, ultimately, they succeeded with Money in the Bank. They succeeded with WrestleMania. And, you know, there have been a couple Smackdowns that have been bad. And uh, the last Raw, the Go Home Raw, you know, you know, we talked about it on Tuesday. I thought it was terrible. You didn't, which is a legit opinion. I just uh, it wasn't for me. Um, But I thought the Go Home Smackdown was solid on Friday night. The main event was horrid, but everything before it, the first Hour and forty minutes of that show, I thought was exceedingly good. there a proper type of go home show. It actually got me excited for the pay per view. But that main event on SmackDown Friday night, I just thought was garbage. Um. So, but no, I mean, look, W as as I've said, WWE's ratings they may be going down week to week. I get it. I, I understand why during this pandemic and everything that's happening. But they have found and and fixed a lot of their booking and storytelling problems because they've been forced into a truncated staff and a and a. A very finite window where they need to do a lot of work and they can't tour all the time and they can't overthink things. And because of that, I think these shows have actually succeeded. So Money in the Bank, whether it's a B for me or an A minus from from Chris, it's a success. It was was a really good show. And ultimately, I think this was a really good instant analysis, breaking down WWE Money in the Bank. So thanks once again to Chris for joining me. Folks, you can follow him on Twitter at Chris. Vanini. You can follow me at Silverstein Adam. We will be back Tuesday very, very soon, basically breaking down the Raw after Money in the Bank primarily. Uh, maybe we'll know a little bit more about how other storylines develop, but there is a lot happening on Raw. Becky Lynch is going to confront Money in the Bank winner Asuka, which they told us before it even happened. Uh, and then we're going to have Edge and Randy Orton on Raw for some reason that we don't know. So there's going to be stuff to talk about. Um, on Tuesday's show of course we will be back Thursday as well for recaps of AEW and NXT don't miss those and please if you did not listen to them I had exclusive one-on-one interviews with Drew McIntyre and Alistair Black in a show that was published on Friday both of them still hold up uh, their green interviews they you know some of it was about money in the bank but not really please go back and listen to those interviews I promise you both of them in particular the Alistair Black one are very good you can follow the podcast on Twitter at Getting Overcast. Subscribe wherever you listen to fine audio. And please drop the five-star rating and review. It is eleven ten 10 p.m. Eastern. We stayed up to cut this for you. So the least you can do is drop that five-star rating. Okay, that's it on our way out here. You know what we need to do before we say goodbye. Elizabeth. Come on, out there, man. Oh. Oh. we got something going that's oh. really big, Mercy. don't we? Yeah, look in the video scope right now and tell him about
1: Macho Madness, tell him how strong it is, and tell him where we're going. Yeah, We into the Twilight Zone. Yeah. yeah, and Hulk Hogan's got no
0: chance, does he? No. no, does anybody have a chance against the Macho Man? Randy no,
1: said
0: no. Am I the greatest wrestler, past, present, and future that ever lived? Okay, now
1: say goodbye. Goodbye. Say goodbye. Bye. Okay, now get out of here. That's right a little now. rough, Randy. You know, yeah, but it is rough. Yeah,
0: wrestling is a rough sport. And I am the roughest one in the sport. I am the number one wrestler in the world today. Talk, talk I to will. I here. thank you, Randy Savvy. And thank you all for listening. Bye for now.